0: Two hour and 47 hm. minute yeah. film about the Declaration of Independence. Did oh. they steal it? Oh, no. It's uh, more straightforward than that.
1: Okay. This is actually about the Declaration of Independence. Oh, so this is a prequel to National Treasure. Exactly. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay, Nicholas. Every
2: movie is a prequel <laughs> to National Treasure.
0: Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discussed the new Lynn Ramsey film, which is You Were Never Really Here, starring Joaquin Phoenix. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, and myself, Alex Teekman Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 161 of Film Tank. As always, I am Alex Diekman, along with my buddy Tucson Egan. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Welcome back. We usually don't let Toussaint join, but we thought that it would be, you know...
1: I always find a way. Well, not always. Well... Three out of four times, I find a way.
0: That's probably about accurate. I think that's accurate. So, also here, who's here uh, 100% of the time, I think, 99% of the time. Has there been any episodes
2: you haven't been on? Only the bad one. Which one was that? The ones that I weren't, wasn't on. <laughs> Which was what? Exactly.
1: <laughs> wasn't there, like, an episode that you did with, like, Kenny way back in the day that that we about did baseball movies? It was an
0: episode on baseball movies. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, that would technically count. But I don't think there's been another it was a bonus episode. I was going to say, I don't think so. There's... go fuck yourself, Alex. Okay. Uh I will not, but thank you for the offer. Uh I don't think That was think... an offer. That, that was a, a requirement.
2: <laughs>
0: God. I don't think we've done a bonus episode since our first year of doing this. No, we uh Let's stream. do
2: one one of these days, Yeah. Okay? Just for the thrill of it. Yeah. Okay. Sounds All great. Right. Very good. So, celluloid, is it coming back? <laughs> Stay tuned for this bonus episode.
1: Yes, Nicholas. So, anyway, uh, Alex, what were you about to say?
0: I was just going to say that we've got actually got some time to kill. I know I'm kind of just springing this on you guys. Yeah. we have not done a uh, Week in Review in quite a while. Oh, shit. I was thinking maybe we could just do a little one right now. Yeah, let's do a little one. Just a little one. Yeah, Yeah, Just a tiny bit. You go first. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) So there are actually two things I would like to mention. Okay. Uh, The first is the... uh, God, I can't remember the year of it. I'm going to have to look this up. So I'm just really... Rocking it here with the old podcasting thing. Hey, you said we had time to kill. I uh, Yeah. Uh, the 1972 uh, drama family history film, which is also somewhat a musical, called 1776. 76. Yep i had never seen this before. Apparently, it was. I like how you said that is
2: correct, as if one of us said it, but really it was you. Technically, so you... it
0: was you who said it. But oh, that's did like... I? Yeah. Oh shit. That just happened like a second ago. I
2: got distracted because there was a phone ringing, <laughs> and I went to another plane of dimension.
0: I guess so. So Emily had seen this many times in her youth. Uh...
2: Oh yeah, it's a school staple for mm. a lot of people.
0: But she watched it a lot with her two close friends, and they actually acted out the scenes as they were happening, which I thought was very interesting. While you were watching it?
2: No, 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 no. That would have been great. Yeah, I was like, why wasn't I invited? I know. That sounds precious.
0: Yeah. So anyways, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it or has not seen the actual theater production of it, it's basically just the story of the lead-up to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And um, I will say... I, because it was on Friday night, um, and I was just rated as chill, and I was like, oh, great, a two hour and 47 <laughs> minute yeah. film about the Declaration of Independence. Did oh. they steal it? Oh, no, it's, uh, more straightforward than that. Okay. This is actually about the Declaration of Independence. Oh, so this
1: is a prequel
0: to National Treasure.
2: <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Nicholas. Every movie is a prequel <laughs> to National Treasure.
0: Hmm. I will say, um, there were parts of this that I thought were silly and a bit dull. Um, however, I feel like when this film was doing what it actually was about, which was about these 13 uh, states arguing about the Declaration of Independence, it's mm-hmm. actually quite good.
2: Most of the scenes that take place in the actual room mm-hmm. uh, where they're discussing and debating are pretty good. It's, yeah. A lot of the stuff that takes place outside of that room is hit or miss. <laughs> you are telling me
1: yeah. I want to own slaves. Like, I, I want to own work, more slaves,
2: but that it can be a slog to watch. What it's not like on
0: right, and especially like there's these weird moments where uh, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin are skipping together through the town and like singing hymns, and it's like, sure are is this really? I mean, is this musical historically songs? accurate? I mean i wasn't gonna go there but even so i'm just like ah i don't know but like the there's an elongated sequence i think about like 40 minutes in that involves the congress and all of their arguing and bickering um and very interestingly uh, and i told emily this and i sounded like kind of a, a, a stooge but i was like you know it's interesting that this film starts with everybody being divided and then ends six days later with everybody being unanimously on the same page and seeing the events that take never place.
1: Never again. Yep, yeah. never
0: again. I mean, this film uh, is really the hallmark for Compromise as to get things done, you have to allow yeah. for things that you don't
2: believe in. <laughs> for every five senators, only three of them are going to agree. I mean, yeah. actually, that's yeah. about right. It's, it's, just, yeah. That's why they named it the three-fifth clause. Yeah.
0: Anyways, um, I thought a lot of parts of this film were actually pretty great. Um, But again, this is a bit of a chore to watch if you are not sure if you're interested. So, Mm -hmm. fair warning, two hours and 47 minutes and not all of it is amazing. The other film I will mention, and I I will say I had been drinking uh, while I watched this, so it may have only slightly, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm kind of joking, but not really, Um, affected my rating. Uh, But that would be the Rob Zombie film Halloween Part 2, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it was the ridiculous storytelling or the oversimplistic sort of nuances throughout this film. Yeah. But I just love the idea of this preposterous uh, slasher story that basically ends up somewhat exactly where you would expect it to, but at the same time is somewhat intriguing where the film makes its very ending and the actual ending, like moments. Um, Well, the ending shot is just completely stolen from Psycho. Uh, I mean. Yes, it actually is. Mm. But at the same time, um the the climax of the film uh is some that I actually enjoy doing an episode on sometime. Because I actually think there is quite a a bit of ambiguity about what's actually going on in the final scene. Yeah. So, um I thought it was actually quite wonderful and for the most part if you look anywhere on ratings, most people think this film is dog shit. Um and not I'm, me. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who doesn't like horror films, I, I guess I could understand why anyone would have that opinion. But I thought this film was extraordinarily entertaining and actually quite good. It's fantastic.
2: I've been uh wanting you to watch it ever since we watched the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I genuinely think it's just one of the weirdest but extremely effective art house horror films out there. And I don't mean art house in a way where if you watch it you'll come away with a very deep experience, but mm-hmm. Just art house in the sunset. Yep, there are scenes where Michael Myers uh, envisions white unicorns and his dead mother uh, standing next to them, and so we, he's a Republican. white white horses white horses. Okay. Sorry, horses unicorns, um, same thing. Yeah, uh,
1: mm. just one
2: a little less horny, <laughs> um, and <laughs> um, and yet we take this as a matter of fact. I mean. By the end of it, I don't mean matter of fact that, that it's it all, actually happening. It all comes together in but the end, actually. when it's being portrayed, it is extremely serious about it. You know, it's not um, some uh, just random throwaway, because then obviously by the end of it, it fully commits to mm-hmm. the, that kind of imagery. So now I'm a huge fan of uh, Halloween 2. I think it's fantastic.
0: And the fact that this film uh, ropes back to the strip club uh, from the first film yeah. is quite amazing yeah because i didn't even really think about it at first and then yeah. either you or kenny had mentioned something about it and i was like yep. oh yeah i like, remember his mom was a stripper yeah yep yeah so um yeah and too if you're looking for just a entertaining uh slasher mike myers film i mean this film has those moments
2: as well yeah the sound mixing alone you could watch <sighs> this without looking at it and it's still one of the most brutal movies ever made
0: Seriously though they had to just stick a knife in a watermelon for that it just it just sounded exactly like that and it was quite good. Important so, question though was it seedless? I mean I is think, it? I think I think zombie is the kind of raw person I don't think he would go in for that new age even though he's a vegan I yeah. don't think he'd go in for the seedless watermelon for the sound. I hear you. That makes so, sense. Hi marks for uh, Halloween 2 from myself. Uh, the Rob Zombie version, that is. If you've ever wanted to check it out, I would say give it a try. And you may very well hate it, but I certainly enjoyed
1: it. Hmm. Moving on to whoever wants to go next. I'll go next. Okay. Okay. So uh, a couple of days ago, I think, a uh, friend of the podcast, Anna Botizatu, uh linked us to a trailer for a film called Dao, which is like some crazed... That's the thing on Netflix. No, it's not on Netflix. Not on Netflix yet. Anyway, it's like okay. it's this crazy cinema verite project that I would describe oh. as. What um, was this? This director who basically constructed a simulacrum of the Soviet Union or across this entire town and recruited all of these actors to basically live out their lives day by day as if they're in the Soviet Union and filmed it as sort of a uh, a, a documentary of a of one person, but also just of the tableau of the people living in that space. So it's like, imagine somebody tried to produce the Decalogue by way of Synetic New York, right? And that's what the way that I described it. And I was like, you know what? I haven't actually watched Synetic New York. I know of it, but I've never seen it. So the past couple of like days, I've just been on a binge to fill in sort of gaps in my own like knowledge. So I watched Synetic New York and I thought it was okay it was probably the most charlie kaufman charlie kaufman film i've ever seen it yeah. was uh um it was very grandiose it was kind of pretentious uh it was inspired in a lot of a lot of parts and uh it was i thought it was good yeah. i i i enjoyed it i don't know how how often i'm going to go go back to see it but um i'm glad that i did watch it just in be able to have, have seen it. Oh, yeah. It's also very morbid and very uh, – but that, that's a very Charlie Kaufman anyway.
2: So. Well, yes, but also this is like watching, you know, a hundred to maybe two hours mm-hmm. uh, of just like taking a cyanide pill. I mean, it is yeah. just yeah. – There's never a scene in which Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just not thinking about his impending death or yeah. – any possible meaning he can glean from his life before it's, it happens—it's the thing
1: that's powering his entire desire to. I mean, it, it, he's he's adapting Death of a Salesman, and then he gets a MacArthur Genius Grant, and then he uses that to create this like fucking uh, like it, it looks like a like an airplane silo, like like some craze, like like huge area where he tries to like yeah. recreate New York, and then while he's doing that, it's sort of like implied by context that the world is just falling into itself and just falling apart while this 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 like play of New York is going on and then Are we still talking about the film that Anna
0: Told you about no. I'm, no, I'm talking he about used that as like as the jumping. Which point. which which I heard that, but then he started describing it. and I was like, wait a minute. Are, are we? Is it the same exact? Film no, it's not the no, same no, exact film. that's why film. he said. Like, okay, he I
2: gotcha. is a film, project. Seeing that trailer reminded him that he hadn't watched this okay. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: I am looking forward to seeing Dow, but I enjoyed yes. seeing Sinematic. This is super random. Yep. Do you remember the documentary we watched in
0: one of? Nell Dog's classes uh where it was like the most depressing um th- it was a it was a filmmaker who just put the camera in really fucked up situations oh yeah yeah and just let it roll for like days at a time mm-hmm. and then just
2: like the one we watched was one from a series of like hospitals. Yes, yep. where
0: a patient just threw up continuously for thirty minutes, and yep. it just plays the entire thirty minutes. Yeah, I don't know. You said the word morbid, and I would just like snapped back to that. Like, yep. holy shit, somebody made a film like that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry,
1: I don't. It's not like that. But no, no. But no. no. Uh, um, it's not I'm as morbid as that
2: train of thought, I don't think it's the same filmmaker. But I have a Criterion set of documentaries uh, in which a very similar kind of documentarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's five films. The The big difference between the one I'm talking about and the one you're talking about is, like, disappointment as far as, like, he made, like, features, like, 100 minutes and that's it and tried to edit it together to be, like, an actual cohesive whatever. Mm-hmm. But in general, uh, his films, and I think his name was Alan King, um, are very good if you like that sort of thing, but you don't want to sit with it for, like, uninterrupted periods of time yeah uh for example he made one called a movie called a married couple which this was before reality tv he actually found a married couple that agreed to just be filmed and Mm. it's one it is a hundred minutes of cringe inducing uh drama Oh,
1: it sounds like my kind of horror
2: yeah it is very clear that not that they should not be married but that they did not think this through and whatnot. And it's really uncomfortable. There's another film he made um, where it's exclusively him with a camera inside an Alzheimer's ward. And Mm. like, is that's, the 100 minutes you're watching, and uh, that yeah. is uncomfortable. Yes. That's, yeah. So yeah, he does a lot of that kind of stuff. His name is Alan King. If you ever want a slightly more palatable version of what you're talking about, I would recommend him. Anyway.
1: So I watched Sin New York, and then I moved on to Michael Clayton. So
0: wait, so wait, you did not watch the film that Anna suggested? No. I could not We've watch the film because
1: this. the trailer, yeah, was released. You're really
2: getting hung up on this idea here. I kind of am. Yeah. Yeah. Anna, Anna showed us a trailer. Yes, yes, for a
1: film that's not
0: available yet.
1: That's not available yet. No. That was promoting, and then I already described what the yeah. film project was. It sounds really ambitious. I'm looking forward to coming out. But when and I it reminded you of I was, this, and that's why you watched. That's it, why yes. I watched okay. Synetic in New York. I'm yeah. sorry. That's I okay. thought
0: I was paying attention, but
1: clearly I had a do moment. It's okay. So. It happens. It happens I to col- everybody. I col- <laughs> Anyway, uh, you especially you. And anyway, me, so. yeah. Anyway, continuing on. on. Yeah, I watched Michael
0: Clayton. You did watch Michael Clayton. I did. Okay. Um, what did you think about the White Horse inclusion?
2: It's very Halloween two esque. <laughs> I thought it was very boring. The entire movie, or the yeah, it's it
1: kind of bored the shit out of me, and I and you know I really came in with you an gave open it five out of
2: five stars. I didn't give it any stars actually. Just kidding.
1: Um, <laughs>
2: Uh, i can honestly see that to be completely yeah frank. i mean
1: i i get what the what the film was about it's like this it, but... like michael clayton basically works as a fixer for a like upstate um sort of like legal firm and basically his job is in 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 the film is to wrangle one of the top top executives of said law firm because he's supposed to be defending one of their clients you north against this like huge like suite against like some shit that they've done. Was
0: that Sidney Pollack's last acting
1: performance?
2: Last well, genuine, yeah. And I want to say in general, probably, but at the very least, his last actual performance. It had, it had
1: Tilda Swinton in it, and it had... That um, was an earned Oscar, by the way. I thought she was just wonderful in oh, that she film. got an Oscar from this film? Yeah. Oh, okay, I can see that. She, yeah. It was a good performance, you know. Um, Tom but,
2: Wilkinson's great in it.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, that scene when he's in the... Uh,
0: Giving the deposition, and he decides to take his pants off in front of the child. That was yeah, awkward. Just takes his
1: pants off, takes his shirt off, takes everything off. And yep. I'm just like, he's just,
2: yeah. I mean, what would you do differently?
1: <laughs> uh, I would not do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I watched that, and I thought that was okay. And then I decided on a whim to just re-watch uh, the Before trilogy. And oh. I'm still going through my rewatch of the Before trilogy. I watched before um, Before Sunrise, Sunrise, Before Sunset. And uh, yeah, those films are fucking beautiful. They are. Those are some of the most uh, beautiful romantic films I've ever seen in my life. And I don't really like romantic films. And that was,
2: Aww. yeah, it's just Julie. it's it's
1: uh yeah. it was a roller coaster of emotions. It's just mm. it's really good. I like it. They are good. Yeah. I uh I need to watch that someday. You do I have not seen any of them? They're Julie Depley's character in the first film. Just want to make a a note of this. I really enjoy her character because she's just. Very sarcastic and very witty. Um, looking back at Ethan Hawke's character from the earliest film, I, I can't fucking stand him in some scenes. He's just fucking annoying.
2: Well, that's what's great about him, though. Because yeah. he, I think most dudes who have been that age can yeah. pretty much relate to him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we've, we've all been insufferable at some point. Oh, yeah. And about a lot of the same topics. Oh, yeah. So, if anything, I just think that makes it even better because I, I do like him a lot, mm-hmm. but I'm also with you in the sense that, obviously, yeah. half the time you're just like, oh. You have the wisdom but, to be able to have the
1: hindsight of looking back and be like, oh, man, yeah. what a fucking douche. But
2: what saves him <laughs> is that between the two of them, this romance is bigger than both of them mm-hmm. because there are moments like in the very first film uh, when they go to the record store in that listening booth. Where the two of them are not talking at all, yeah. and the way they keep smiling because mm-hmm. this is so new to them and yet feels so right is just one of the greatest cinematic depictions of falling in love.
1: And the whole, like, catalyst for them even having met on that train... with the, because... With, with, because of the implosion of somebody else's relationship and how yeah. they fucking argue and how that probably would never, like like, realistically... For the time when that was filmed compared to like, yeah, when we're now. Living, those people would be on their fucking phones.
2: Well, not to mention, we're also living, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but yeah. we're living in, in the age in which we're like past the meme of like if a girl's wearing her headphones, you know, whatnot, mm-hmm. which I completely agree with, yeah. And yet, this film romanticizes the opposite of that, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think certainly there's, uh, there's. It is okay for it to be that. Right. But certainly it is from a very different time. Right.
1: The the moment when he asks, I, I, I mean I tweeted this, but the moment when he asks Celine to come out with him for a day in Vienna, and just shoots his shot, is just as fucking spectacular as any fucking death-defying stunt in Mission Impossible <laughs> or Fast and Furious. It's just that like,
2: <gasps> yo, he made it! He busted out of that cast. Yep. Daddy's got to go to work.
0: So, yep. speaking of Richard Linklater, I rewatched Days and Confused, which is a yeah, wonderful did. masterpiece. Um, and also, too, I've got to say, uh, it's weird because that is a very simple movie for the most part. Uh, but every time I find a new character that I actually like, where before I was like, meh. Uh, and I really liked Parker Posey's character this time she's for whatever great. reason. Um, her line when she's telling one of the incoming high school girls, Wipe that face off your head, bitch. Um, I don't know why, but just the way she said it and the fact that she was like walking away and that was a walk off line is just delightful. And man, that film's score is fucking ridiculous. Like, they must have spent their entire budget on it because every single song is, for the most part,. Uh, something you would have to purchase to have in your film.
2: I mean, it wasn't Linklater's first film, so on the one hand I get it, but also I don't get how such a maverick young filmmaker who had not really proven himself uh, had the caveat that he was not going to make the film with Universal unless they agreed to spend like $500,000 on music. (laughs) Like he was just, like it was literally, you agree to this, like, or else there's no movie whatsoever. And, Which actually is probably true. Yeah, no, and obviously his gamble paid off, and certainly Universal kind of probably figured, well, if the movie sucks, at least we'll sell the soundtrack. I, You know, I don't know, but yeah.
0: Yeah, no, but anyways, we should definitely do an episode on that sometime, but that is a very good, fun, entertaining film.
1: It is. Yep. Okay, on to Nick.
2: Oh, uh, oh my goodness! I was not prepared. Uh, okay, <laughs> oh, but you always get. are. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's you. Hey, uh, so let's see some stuff I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching some of my. Let's see here. Uh oh, let's talk about this. I watched with Toussaint a movie called The First Purge. Oh yeah, yeah. We yeah. watched that a couple like a week ago or so. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it, but we yeah. did. And Go I gotta on. say that I enjoyed it. I uh, did too. You know, it's, it's it's exactly what it is. It's a it's a purge film. So yeah. that in and of itself tells you quality wise. To what feel it's a good film. To be. It's meant to make you feel good. Yes, it is. Yeah. But um, I gotta say that it was for the most part, extremely entertaining. And we are going around the bend uh, with regards to the political bent of these Purge films, where these films, even if unintentionally, are starting to become entertaining because of how ridiculously... I, I, I don't want to use the word astute, but I want to use something in the same They're becoming
1: more explicitly political as time goes on, where it's right. not just this... In, in the... For the sequel, I think in Purge Anarchy, there was this uh, character. What's his name? He was uh, uh, Michael K. Williams. Michael character. K. Williams' character, who was yeah. just about I was like they're just killing the poor. It was really just speaking in these broad, anthemic, like progressive yeah. tones. Where, as these films have gone gone on, they're just becoming more and more. Uh, find hone into what their actual message is and yes. I appreciate that
2: and this film is now the fourth one and yet it's also the prequel and for me what's interesting about that juxtaposition is that this is the first film directed by an African American mm-hmm. in which the entire cast is pretty much predominantly African American like if there's a white character in it I forgot who that person is well uh, Marisa Tomei and the one evil who's just like her, yeah. the other evil politician. So that makes perfect sense in mm-hmm. this world. And what I love is the ide- May. No, yeah. what I love about the idea here is that um, the the further the purge gets with its leash, um, the more the studios are caring less about what these movies are about so much as one gets made. Mm-hmm. So I genuinely think that's why we got something like what we just got with The First Purge, which is, in my opinion, a winner because um, it's ironic that this came out the same week or two that Superfly came out, the remake <laughs> of one of the most... If, Nobody saw that. Yeah, well, no. But it was, that was a remake of the most popular black exploitation film of all time, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, in general. Yeah. You know, people who... I've never seen Superfly. I have still heard the soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yet what's weird is that was a remake of the most popular black exploitation film ever made, whereas this is an actual modern day black exploitation film. And in that lens, I just thought it was endlessly entertaining um, because it – there were so many facets of this that you could tell had African-American blood in its DNA beyond the script itself. Mm. Um, the the way it was shot, uh, there, there is a huge problem in Hollywood right now in how uh, most of the time, if not all the time, white directors <laughs> and white DPs uh, shoot black bodies in light because they do not set up rigs and such with african-american mm-hmm. skin tones in mine and the and the different shades of them uh this movie you could actually see the differences in skin tones uh there there was no quote-unquote black color mm-hmm. and that was it and i i appreciated that and just because it's just seemed like yeah of course if you no. hire someone who actually thinks of everybody and mm-hmm. not just of their own experience are
0: you because i've never seen any of the Burge films so yeah. i'm Holy shit, Really? Yep. Nope. Haven't seen a minute of it. Damn. Flying blind here a little bit. Um, Are you referring to just the nighttime scenes? Because this film almost exclusively takes place at night, right? Almost all the films do, yeah. Yeah. So So in
2: general, yeah, I'm talking about nighttime scenes. But that's the huge thing because you're using light. So if you're not using daytime, like at least there, it's like, okay, maybe the sun was behind a cloud or something and you just didn't set up the right But because here it is exclusively, that's almost even harder. Yeah, because sure. you have to set up your own rig and, you know, shoot it and whatnot. Um but it just it makes all the difference. Um, not since I would say Magic Mike XXL have I seen a mainstream film actually pay attention to how it shoots and lights up. You're talking uh, about the uh, the house scene? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, because that is That's a, a, a very good scene by It's a very way. good scene. Yeah. Um and so anyway, in general though, I just thought this was a great film. I, I <laughs> not great, but just very good. And it had a lot of great uh, moments in the sense that at one point it was a black quotation film and another point uh, the main guy turns into a John Wick like character because he has to be literally just weapons up to go into an apartment complex to rescue someone you know um, and it maybe has my favorite image I've seen in a film all year in which um, we cut during the very typical uh, purge montage that's shown in every film where you know at one point you, you know just a pastime time All these movies at some point will just kind of show you like a good 30 seconds of like, oh, chaos, because it's The Purge. And during this one, uh, we see a scene in which we hover over a what looks to be a pro field of a baseball uh, diamond. Yeah. And as we zoom in, so to speak, and the camera goes onto the ground of what's happening, we see a, an African American crawling towards uh, first base, like literally prone, like not just crawling, but like just barely even rising above the ground as six or so white cops completely dressed in uniform, uh, are all above him laughing and clearly based on the, uh, the makeup job and whatnot of the the victim you know he's been beaten and whatnot Mm -hmm. and then the and then it switches to the overhead shot again to show you an african-american literally not being allowed to get onto first base because he's crawling along that baseline and that image does not need to be any less subtle because it is just fucking fantastic and um one of the things I've always thought about the Purge films, I was like, well, if these were really politically, you know, <laughs> like astute or whatever, why wouldn't the cops get in on this shit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they already do it right. on a day-by-day right, basis. So right. And so here we have that, even for a moment. Like, I, I, it was, it was... Fucking creepy and, yeah. and potent, and it yeah. was fantastic. So, yeah. I, I I will admit, I think if anybody and you could easily watch it without having to see a single purge. So, mm. I would recommend it to anybody.
0: So, here's a question I have. because yes. um, we've seen lots of horror franchises that have went on long past their uh, their. <laughs> Should have been Ending Day. Oh, yes. Um, do you feel like this franchise is actually getting better as it's going on? Yeah. Or this was yes? No,
2: I kind of do. Okay. Um, Well, yes and no in the sense that. Because I think se- the first one's actually pretty decent. Yeah. I think the second one's awful. Mm-hmm. And I think the third one shows how this franchise can be a franchise. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the fourth one was better than the third one. Because we've we seen other
0: series that have went on and on like the saw series went way downhill after the third one. Oh, absolutely um and like paranormal activity i've never seen any of those but yeah. i've heard those are, and there's been five of those i don't final destination s- yeah. i mean eh.
2: i don't need to see a single other purge film but if one gets made i'll go see it like yeah it's, it's one of those things at least as of right now
0: um but it's not something that you feel like could be Finding its craft and gaining steam, like obviously not in terms of box office numbers, but something like the Fast and the Furious series did. Where, oh no, actually, home- I do
2: think there's at least maybe not on that quite level, yeah, but I do think it is something closer to that. Where, um, especially now because the first three were by the same director, mm-hmm. uh, so now that somebody else stepped in, like I do think that kind of shows that maybe this franchise could have legs. Because here's the thing. The Purge in and of itself is an interesting concept that you can explore from a million angles. And yes, pretty much 2, 3, and 4 have explored it from the same angle, but with different backgrounds, so to speak, of mm-hmm. the protagonist. Right. So it's a little disappointing on that front. But in general, there is actually a lot of things you could do. So if someone wanted to make another one and try to shake it up, I would totally be fine with I that. I
1: just want a fucking heist movie set during The
2: Purge. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I think that'd be fucking There's going to cool. be a TV series, uh, which yeah. we saw the trailer for. Ah. In yeah. the credits, the oh. the end credits of the first Purge, you see a trailer for the TV series. So. so fucking goddy. So
0: speaking of uh, Rob Zombie that I mentioned earlier, yes. uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to watch Halloween 2 is because myself and former yeah. host Kenny... Went to go see Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson later that evening in concert. Oh, where at? Uh Tinley Park. Oh, hey. I know some people who went there. Yeah. Not you two, but like I yeah. and you also like, know us. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say you do know them. Yeah. And actually the concert was quite good. good. Um I had my thoughts that both of them are older and have not really been relevant in the music scene for almost two decades. Nah. Um, but actually they both put on pretty solid performances. Um, anyways, Rob Zombie uh played the trailer for his new horror film that is coming out next year. Uh and actually for one of the first times he's actually got some names in his film, uh including Danny Trejo, which made me very excited. I know he was in the first yeah. Halloween, I think, right?
2: Yeah, he played uh the janitor at the yeah. inside, so but it's the... Hey Mikey.
0: But at the same time, uh anytime I see Danny Trejo, for the most part I'm in. So Uh, The film looked awful, but at the same time, uh, I thought that was an interesting inclusion because people at the concert were very excited about that trailer, and none of them are going to go see it in the theater. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that made for a good visual for the concert, eh? Yeah.
0: And also, too, um, Nick, you will find this interesting. Uh, That was the first uh, stop on this tour where he played and opened with the song, Lords of Salem.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that. that was
0: quite interesting, and I know you've told me that that's actually your favorite of his films, or, or one of your Howard favorites. Howling is
2: probably my favorite favorite, mm-hmm. but that's definitely uh, right after it. It's oh. uh, a very good film, even if you don't like horror film. I want to say, yeah. Um, I mean, you could dislike it, but <laughs> I would say I would recommend that over all of his films to a normal person, whether like whether I know whether they like horror films or not. Okay. It's very different from his other films. Uh, one other last thing I wanted to talk yeah. about. Sorry, I kind of no, hijacked no, no. your segment there. Um, one thing I want to mention is I'm currently going through and I'm having a ball. Uh, <laughs> I'm a streaming service shutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the horror streaming service, which is still a fantastic deal. It's 4.99 a month. And these are not like Netflix horror section in which you look at them and you look at these titles and you're like, what the hell are these these range from genuine classics to fantastic obscurities from the minds of uh, even, like, European uh, weirdos like Jess Franco. Oh, well, he's uh, technically uh, Mexican. Yeah. Uh, but Jess Franco. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Jess. Um, and just a bunch of other things. You know, Fulci films are on there, Argento films. Whatever I, too, you get enjoy co-
1: sponsored content.
2: Oh, Absolutely. And um, here's what they did the other day, though. This is kind of exciting for a horror fan and for a TV fan. Okay. So back in the 90s, I want to say maybe the 80s, but Mm -hmm. definitely in the 90s, um, a guy named Joe Bob Briggs was the host of a TV show. And technically that TV show took on like three different forms at various decades because every time it would get canceled at one point, he would just go to another network that would like, buy it and then he would just change the name you know mm-hmm. but basically um, I think one of them was called Monster Vision and another one was co- uh, I forget what the other one was called. I'm sorry
0: I'm laughing yes. but this sounds totally like something that um, the made up TV uh, late night host played by the uh, European guy. what's his name? James Corder? Well, no, 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 what are you no. talking about? Oh uh, no, I'm talking about the Steve Coogan character. Sounds oh, like, Alan Partridge. It sounds like something <laughs> he would do. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, no, no. So what this is, is a um his show was Basically, it's like, do you, remember, um, do you remember on TBS, this wasn't his show, but do you remember on TBS when they used to do dinner in a movie? Yes, actually, I do. Yes, remember mm-hmm. that kind of thing?
0: Where people
2: are, like, commentating? Yes. The... Yeah, okay. So Joe Bob Briggs had his own version of that with horror films. Uh, and, like, I think at one point he was on USA, at another point he was on Showtime, but he'd always dig out a lot of random movies. And these horror films range from, like, David Lynch horror to like Friday the 13th part six. Oh, I mean, okay. just whatever so the a wide hell r- there's
0: a wide range. Oh yeah. yeah. But it was
2: always something weird that if you were to accidentally stumble on, you'd probably be like, Oh, what the hell's going on? Um, so we did this throughout the years. And then I think the last time he was on the air was like 2001 or something like that. Shudder got him out of retirement to do a 24 hour marathon of movies that were on their service in which they've got a great selection. And so he did a 24-hour marathon uh, live oh. on Shutter. Okay. Now I didn't watch it live because I have a life. But they. But they cut it up as far as movie by movie, and it looks and feels exactly like what those shows. You, I mean, they actually clearly put a filter on to make it look like standard death, and you know whatnot. And each time you like, especially now that it's edited, what I mean, edited just as far as like separated into segments. Mm-hmm. Um, but these movies now, when you watch it in that version, it actually has commercial breaks with no commercials, but to go to it cuts to him and whatnot and it's just delightful because it's just him spouting off really random nonsense about these horror films that either you've already seen before and you love, like I watched Sleepaway camp in that format, mm. so obviously I've already seen that, but I'm also watching stuff I haven't seen, and he just goes off on random tangents he's um he's very much a stereotypical southern kind of Texas dude, so like some of the shit he says is like not okay, <laughs> and um he goes off on random tangents that you're kind of just like, yeah, you know. But that's also kind of the charm of it. Like, I've literally just been having it on in the background as I've been doing other things. A and nice it's just... southern
0: gentleman carrying a building, <laughs> so. yes,
2: yeah. Um, but it's been a delight because. I just wish more platforms, especially streaming platforms, even though it seems like it would be antithetical, it's actually a perfect fit. I wish more platforms would play with the tangibility of the relationship between the viewer and the piece of media you're watching, because Netflix just revived Mystery Science Theater 3000, Mm -hmm. Shudder just kind of gave Joe Bob Briggs another 24 hours, Mm -hmm. this idea that when you're watching something, you just want to watch it and then just click, uh, skip to next movie, you know, whatever. Like obviously that's fine and that's always an option. Like it's always going to be there, but mm-hmm. I still would love this kind of curated look and random musings of people who just want to talk to the audience. Who yeah, even if it's through a screen, we did it twenty years ago. Like yeah. nothing's really changed other than the way we get content. So the fact that some s- platforms are starting to kind of l- try this out, I, I- I'm loving and I hope we get more things like it. Not that I have it
0: because I do not, but both you and Kenny have recently told me that Shudder has actually gotten really good within yeah. the last I don't know, like six months or so.
2: Value wise is the best service out there just yeah. because it's four ninety nine and they're actually fantastic. I mean, every female prisoner scorpion film is on there. Um So movies that aren't even like explicitly horror, but but just have a deranged bent to it. Like
1: the Venn diagram of genre.
2: Yes. Yeah. Like movie that horror fans will like. Yeah. Uh, But it has stuff like that and it has coherence on it. It has Yeah, I mean it's got just a bunch of fantastic stuff. Um and Shudder, even before they did Joe Bob Briggs The Last Drive In, they were they always do something called Shudder T V where if you don't wanna just pick something, you can click on Shudder T V which is a channel in which something is always playing 24 hours. And yes, you like literally it's live. So like when you click on it, you're just going into whatever the feed is at. And if you're really picky about it, like you see something and you're five minutes in and you want to start it over because you might like it, then mm. yeah, you can just go choose it in their menu and whatnot and just watch it. But I like the idea of being able to randomly peek in on something. Like I miss the channel flipping uh voyeuristic feeling of, right. of accidentally stumbling on something. Right. So, Anyway, just wanted to put that out there that if anyone has Shudder and they haven't tried it or if they're interested in Shudder, seriously, I think that would actually be a great place to start because mm. if you're not like super into horror, it might be the best way to give you something to look forward to that's not just a horror film, but also somebody who will randomly tally up how many boobs and how many kills there are before Hmm. the movie even starts. So, uh, it's not always great, but it is always entertaining. Right on. Anyway.
0: So, the film we're discussing on this episode is the new Lynn Ramsey film, which is You Were Never Really Here. This film...
2: Harsh. Yeah,
0: well... hmm. (laughs) This film centers around a traumatized veteran, unafraid of violence, as he tracks down missing girls for a living. (laughs) Hold on. When a job spins out of control, Joe's nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered, leading to what may be his death trip or his awakening. Um... Um... (laughs) I guess that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So the film stars Joaquin
2: Phoenix, and that's pretty much it. Taxi Driver is a movie about a guy who hates his job.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Nick, also, too, uh, just in case anybody was curious, uh, the hashtag uh, line for this film was bring the hammer, and I think that's wonderful. Uh, Anyways, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. I will let you go first. Okay. As, uh I think we both really wanted to see yeah. this film, but you are the one who probably s- sought it out even more than me, so yeah. I will uh, let you start us off. Have yeah. you,
1: too, already seen this film before
0: me? We tried to, but it didn't. It yeah, we've of been wanting through. to. we oh, talked wow. about it on the
2: podcast, but no, that was our first time watching okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just told Alex a week ago that... Hey, You Were Never Really Here is coming out on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to buy it, and we're going to watch it, yeah, finally. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I, what's weird about my anticipation for the film is that I've actually never seen a Lim Ramsey film, even though a lot of them are talked about. Like, uh, well, uh we need to talk need about to, Kevin. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. with that one being the biggest one, mm-hmm. and uh, Morvin uh, Kalar, I think is how it's pronounced. All those are supposed to be really good movies, um, but... Until now, I haven't seen one. So I don't have some kind of uh, appreciation for her career as of right now. Mm. But I got to say, after watching this, I'm a fan, personally. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. Mm. I can uh, very much understand why anybody would not. But I like the fact that this was very well-trodden territory that didn't seem like it really cared about... Uh, the path it took as much as it cared about the man who walked it. And um, even if we've seen his arc before, which we have obviously, the movie itself harkens back to days of taxi driver and whatnot. Sure, and this guy's got to really be careful to walk a line. Hey, this, so. look at you. <laughs> I know. Um, it, I still think Walking Phoenix is doing something here that's extremely uh, fascinating to watch and Lynn Ramsey uh, especially is editing this within an inch of her life. I I thought that the transitions and the score by Johnny Greenwood just made this an experience that I haven't had before. Mm. Um, I thought that the central conflict uh, for me at least was, uh, between um, Joe and his will to live uh, was... I, I guess I'm always going to be interested in suicidal protagonists. Like I just like mm-hmm. seeing that depicted in film because Look. I think it's still very taboo. Yeah. Like, it's not so much that we don't do it, but if you're going to do it in a mainstream film, then it either becomes a PSA or it becomes romanticized in a right. gross way. Yeah. So here, I mean, like that diner scene, that was... Um, even if we can tell right away that it's, like, in a, you know, another fantasy of his. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but but uh, actually that diner scene I thought was fantastic because it showed how much the people really care about that. So. Yes.
2: <laughs> and, you know, with that, coupled with the title alone, mm-hmm. like, that, this might be one of the best films I've seen in the last five years or so about depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if Joe's depression stems from very larger-than-life things, which I don't mean larger-than-life in the sense that they're unrealistic or that they don't happen in life, but like the three of us sitting at this table don't know what it's like to be a war veteran or to, uh, I believe it's work for the FBI. Like, yeah, um, that's what I read from the Wikipedia summary. I would not have gathered that. From I would not have gathered that. I saw it on but, his
1: hat. So.
2: Did you? Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Matt, when he opened up the uh, canister that was filled with all the kids. And yeah, like, that, was... that makes sense. Plus, okay.
2: also, why would he, like... Do FBI people wear FBI hats? Yes, they do. Actually... They do? When they're doing things that require them to be in the official capacity of being oh, okay. an agent, like, identified H&M. so that way people don't just like I was going to say if he's investigating out, like he... rescue operations okay. type thing, right, you, right. you got to know like it's like why SWAT team wears SWAT on their understood.
0: back. understood. Okay. Um, I I guess in my mind, I know I what was you just, mean. But, yeah, but in general, why would you okay. want to
1: announce that to everybody? Is yeah, like, yeah something sort of like that. But okay, he's, he's doing... there in an official capacity. I got gotcha. you. Um,
2: he's not alone. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, which actually makes the uh, scene when he rescues the
2: girl. He looks like he had the FBI hat somewhere in the car. Yeah. 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 Um, But no, this, uh, even if these things are so above an average citizen's pay grade, so to speak, uh, I still think it was so well tethered in a headspace that can be relatable to just about anybody who may suffer from something like that. Um, The flashbacks to his uh, childhood where clearly his father abused him and his His mother. mother, uh, it was just heartbreaking to watch for me um every time we cut to it i you know it's so interesting um when we see the scene of the little version of him mm-hmm. putting the bag over his head i wonder how real that scene is mm-hmm. not so much of like how real his father terrorizing him mm-hmm. is or if that's just him projecting superimposing right past and present and whatnot. And I think there's a lot of that going on in this film that I can't wait to watch again and really start to dig deep within the fabric of uh, not what's real and what's not, but what is uh, being presented in his head and what is uh, something we're just supposed to take as an elusive daydream of, you know, who knows. Like, I think there are things that are happening in this film that aren't even in his head but are just art house weirdness for the sake of it and I'm okay with that I can understand why someone would hate it but um, I thought it was very very effective here so I'll pass it off but I'll just summarize by saying that I like the fact that this was very much films we've seen before whether it's from you know 40 years ago with things like Taxi Driver or with this uh Millennium with things like Drive and whatnot. But this still felt like a new chapter in that kind of ultra-violent subgenre. And that's another thing. This movie is not that violent. Um, and I know that sounds weird to say, but this movie cuts away from so much. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that was brutal. Uh, that security camera montage is hilariously beholden to the timing of the right. loops of the tapes. That Almost every money shot we would want to see if we have a bloodthirsty attitude, mm. which I'll admit I'm a son of a bitch, I do, uh, <laughs> totally takes away from that. And even when he does enact his rage on camera, it's you know through that black and white grain and from far away. So I would say there's barely any real scene of ultraviolence other than a few moments in which it happens within a split second. We see the
1: aftermath typically... Instead of just the act itself. Like in the last act, we we see him like moving throughout the house and seeing the guy with a bloody side of his head. You know what? That's how you do
0: violence because you show. Leave it to my imagination. Well, that and you show the effect of the action, not just the action itself, which is sometimes much more horrifying.
2: And the last thing I'll say on that note Mm -hmm. is that that is also what I thought this whole movie was about, which was a man who was so wrapped up in his own. Depression that besides he was taking it, besides the fact that he was taking it out in an aggressively, uh, you know, rage tastic way, uh, maybe sure with a moralistic bent, but still, um, he's also living a life in which, like the title suggests, um, people would only recognize him by the damage he left behind and not by the person he was uh, who committed it. So so, uh, I'll pass it off to anyone else. All right. Um, yeah, I'll take it. Okay. I,
1: everything you just said, I appreciate, and I totally get where you're coming from. I thought this film was kind of fucking boring, and I enjoy it. Like, and from a, a, a formalist perspective, I really enjoyed the transitions. I enjoyed the lighting. I enjoyed the Johnny Gre- Greenwood score, and you know, to some extent, you know, I enjoyed the performances. I just thought overall it felt like a mumblecore *The Professional*, and that just doesn't. For me, that just doesn't flip the switch for me. I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know where this film just like sort of like went off the rails for me. I enjoy the scene where he actually like busts into like the the brothel, and you only see it from the perspective of those cameras. I feel like that was a really sound and interesting choice. Um, him breaking out of that and then eventually being ambushed by the cops and like escaping that, and the camera just like panning upward. I feel like that might have been like the peak for me, and then everything was just sort of like a. Not downhill, but it's sort of like petered out in its energy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's an okay film. It's just it's nothing that I would write home about. So yeah, yeah. Those those are pretty much my complete initial thoughts. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Moving on to myself,
0: I guess. Um, I actually, somewhat surprising, because I feel like this actually would not usually be my bag. Um, but I actually quite enjoyed this film, really. yep,
2: I was waiting for the opposite, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, no um um, I think this film is a very interesting and actually somewhat original uh look at p t s d hmm. um from two wildly different perspectives because uh we see p t s d pretty much just completely harboring in Walking phoenix's character of Joe uh but we also see it in um the child's character and it's very interesting how for the most part they somehow end up at the same place uh by the end of the film and there's this that diner scene is just very uh uncomfortable um especially the very ending of it for me at least um but i think this does have a lot to say and you alluded to it, and i kind of jumped on that Uh, to A, how society could give no fucks about most anything relating to anyone who's basically screaming for help i mean that's yeah,
2: have... mental illness i mean sure yeah
0: i mean joe's character literally is hanging off the edge of the platform at the subway multiple times and nobody even bothers to i love look. how
2: in those shots even the train is kind of obscuring it like we can see what's happening yeah but it's also never for us in the foreground
0: um and that, that's not to say that joe should be made into a victim necessarily throughout this film because he does do a lot of heinous things uh and I do think it's very interesting, uh, the idea that he is more of a vigilante, actually, throughout this film, in a kind of weird, fucked-up way. Because the opening scene weirdly makes it seem like he murders a child, actually, when you're first seeing the film, at least in my perspective. Um, do you think so, too? Yeah, I thought so, too. I, okay. I, I didn't as know what As somebody who make just watched that.
2: the trailer last night, like, yeah. I kind of already had it in my head that I knew how it was going to open so yeah. I, I guess I don't even I guess I don't have that which is which fresh is, perspective which is, which
0: is fine yeah. um, but at the same time um, the idea of him going off of that and then throughout the rest of the film like he's kind of a hitman but he's not doing it for the money like he lives this very poor lifestyle he takes care of his his mother who clearly is affectionate for it but also um, But we do see how he spends his money later
2: Yeah, because we didn't realize that he had his own house. uh, Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, the the whole action sequence uh, part of this film also I thought was very good. This film was way more restrained than something like Drive, uh, but I actually thought that it made its moments with action work that much better. Um, and the moment when the uh, hotel clerk opens the door and then gets shot through the head and the blood just flies all over him was actually, I thought, one of the more brutal parts of the
2: film. Was what... that really quick, mm-hmm. the hotel clerk, was it? Or was it the boyfriend of the Voto guy?
0: I mean, it was the guy who was sitting at the clerk's sex to the hotel so mm. if he's the okay. same guy because then... i
2: thought in the flashback i'm trying to think was that or not a, maybe maybe it was of the governor i thought we see that dude in the flashback to the creepy governor maybe um where the two of them are in bed uh could be anyway
0: uh, also, too, I don't think you can really trust the flashbacks
1: in no. this film. Yeah, no, no, no. So I guess
2: I just wanted to know if anyone else noticed if, whether that was yeah. the same face. But I did, anyway. especially
1: because that's a flashback from his perspective, and it's more of like, um, it's less of a
2: flashback, more of like an imagining. I think it's from her perspective. Okay, like she's privy to that because of the creepy things that she was forced to witness and do and whatnot. Okay. Anyway.
0: So, uh, anyways, to just close up my opening remarks, I think that this film has a lot to say about PTSD actually. Um, and at the same time, I think this is just an extremely, uh, depressing story about what could happen to human beings. um, In two different ways but you have a guy who's seen a lot of things and then continued on with his life and it's just piled on and at some point he just decided to just go ahead with this and just keep on going and you have this girl who's uh, just been forced into this just horrible uh, culture I Mm -hmm. think Uh, and it is it's just extremely depressing but at the same time I guess we should be happy at the end that they find each other and have someone to maybe
2: like talk with at well, some point? I think it's very, I think there's something to the fact that Joe was fucked up since childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not even just the army or his job. They're no, both but, children of abuse. Yes. Right. And so because he was lost from that point on, I think connecting with a child would actually do him good. And I don't mean it in a weird sexual way. Right. But that innocence lost type thing and because she's still a child with, obviously, her innocence lost, um, I like the idea of that kind of symbiotic relationship that that's, you know, like you said, they found each other, and even if that's fucked up, uh, it's nowhere near as fucked up as most of the things that happened in this movie that either one of them were forced to do or forced to, uh, uh, you know, exhibit or witness. The
0: photos on the senator whoever's side table Governor, of all of the yeah. all of the horrified children was just so fucking creepy yeah um i i don't feel like i've seen anything like that in cinema in a while like at least in somewhat mainstream cinema not that this is i mean this is more of an independent film but this also isn't still a
2: 24
0: it isn't like a lars van trier film so right um yeah i was just like Bleh. yeah
2: how about the scene where Joe uh, is asked by the uh, girls to take a picture of them? Yep. Yeah. Uh, which, when you've seen the entire movie, you obviously know exactly what's happening there, and it's extremely uncomfortable and yet heartbreaking and mm-hmm. just like, very hard to watch.
0: So, since, unfortunately, we are on a, it's a bit of a timeline yeah. here, I did have one question I wanted to get to, yeah. um, I want to make sure we talked about, and that was the very interesting moment involving uh joe and one of the two guys he shot that was in the house when he tries to extract information from him mm-hmm. and then there's a song playing they start both seeing it together yeah. then joe lays next to him and then they start holding hands
1: um what is everybody's reading on that scene i mean the guy who was dying grasped after his hand because he didn't want to die alone is that the
0: only thing that's happening? I mean, if if you guys think it is, that's fine, but I, I thought that was just a I thought that scene actually had a lot more to do with Joe than it did with the guy who was dying, but that was just me.
2: I'm actually I'm with both of you. Okay? Like okay. pretty much what you're saying, I think is spot on as far as what is happening in right. in the level of reality mm-hmm. that Joe is experiencing. But two things. One, um the lyrics to that song by the way, it's it's called I've Never Been to Me uh by Sharo or something. It's yeah. a Motown classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lyrics of that song is like I've slept with kings, I've been to Paradise, I've you know, I've done all these things, whatever, but the chorus kicker is but I've never been to me and that idea of being able to experience so many things but never actually finding peace within yourself Mm. in the way you find it in other places or in other people uh, is obviously very potent here with Joe and Joe's uh, journey, uh, so to speak. Um, So the idea that these two hitmen are bonding over that, and that's what I think ultimately, too, is kind of interesting about that, is that they come from the same profession, even if they're doing it for different... uh, uh, reasons and uh moral standards. Yeah, there's
0: this weird camaraderie there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like I the you know, the life of a hitman technically is lonely, uh, so to speak. So I love the idea that um it was like almost this like honor among thieves type code where yeah because one was dying and so like you know the the deed is done mm-hmm. uh it joe's never in the entire movie shown even if the violent is brutal he's never excessive like when he knocks someone out they're out mm-hmm. and when he doesn't have to kill someone he doesn't so to speak and so here um he's just i think very into connecting with a human being because i think it's the Easier for him to connect with someone who's just about to leave this earth than it is to connect with someone who would actually stay here.
1: I can see that.
0: Yet, though, we really still do not see the exact, um, the exact outcome of the first hit he does to start the film off. Like we see the the, the leftovers, right? right. But we don't see the person. We don't see the body, um, which actually I think makes him for the audience at least there's a more of a chance that people would feel more of him like a weird vigilante type character where if you saw the entirety of that perhaps he would just be as not as ugly as the other characters in the film but maybe the audience wouldn't think the same way about him right like
2: if he's super successful at his job it means that he just went into somewhere and murdered a bunch of people right. whereas here he does murder some people, but in general, he's walking into situations where that job has been done for him, which is almost like a weird quixotic, surreal journey if you're a hitman and you are uh always walking in into someone who's already been in that room before you right that that is just you know um. It, it's creepy, it's it's kind of poetic. Um, certainly You're just
1: the second-shift guy who yeah. goes in and just, like, mops up, finishes things that other people start.
2: Right. And, you know, even if the IMDb uh, summary is silly, <laughs> um, it's interesting because the word conspiracy is not necessarily apt here, and yet the paranoia and the precision of a conspiracy conspiratorial network is in play here to the point where it's almost ironic that um, he falls very much in line to be prey to this operation that's happening to the point where because it is conspiratorial by nature he is being erased by virtue of being set up you know like to to the fact that he's being set up in a way to have done all these crimes is essentially going to be what makes him into a ghost, in one of two ways: either he dies literally, and that's what erases him from this earth, or, in the case of what we pretty much see in this movie, uh, it is what will force him to probably, you know, walk away from this life. I want to say, in mm. my opinion, um, and and go live a life that. Truly doesn't belong to him. I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that he's wearing a white shirt at the very end at the mm. diner. Um, as a hitman and what he does, he would never wear white because that would just be, he would show blood all that right. much more uh, easier. So, of course, symbolically, for him to be sitting in that diner, uh, that is, I think, a big moment for him and that this is the start of something new.
0: How about the idea, too, that. Um... It's kind of actually really off-putting, but the the young girl seems to be way more composed than he is. Oh, yeah. uh, Which is kind of fucked up. She's the one that uh,
2: pretty much saves him. um, When he walks in on her after she's eating her dinner, after she's slit the throat of the governor, Mm -hmm. uh, and she just tells him, it's okay, Joe, it's okay. Yeah. Which, in that moment... Almost lens, and I hate to be a BuzzFeed, Reddit, whatever, but in that moment, I almost start to entertain the idea that this movie is a fantasy in and of itself. I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. this is concocted from the mind of a person who, after years of dealing with these kind of cases, and after, you know, whatever years, this is of, a
1: this is a Saint Elsewhere, uh, yeah, snow globe moment. that this
2: was all just to get him to. S- be saved by the very thing that's killing him inside. And, yeah. Um, and I think there's even a moment in which it kind of, I wouldn't say suggest it, but there's a moment toward the beginning of the film in the first act where you could almost take that moment as the moment where he actually dies and the rest of it is almost a taxi driver-like fantasy. I want to say it might be when he's wrestling with the cop because he's technically shot in the mouth. Yeah. And
1: um, he pulls the tooth out that has a...
2: Yeah, he does that. Um, so, And I'm not saying that the movie, that is what I think is actually my main interpretation, mm-hmm. but I genuinely think that this movie is so well composed that something like that, in my opinion, effortlessly sneaks up on you to well, be suggestive, at least. The
0: other thing is that, at least this the film somewhat clearly picks Elaine, that the knife that she has at the end is the exact same knife that he has in the beginning
2: of the yes. film. Yes, yes. Um, so that even actually more and makes your point. also the one that his mom is sharpening, at, not sharpening, cleaning at one point. Uh, I can't remember. I'm 99.9% because I remember thinking that that was a weird knife for her to be <laughs> uh, like, you know, it wasn't like a fork or a, or a regular butter knife. I was like, why did that look like a sickle? So mm-hmm. I want to say it shows up at least once in the mother's hand, um, which it would make sense. Yeah. I mean, she's a victim of abuse too, so like it's technically yeah. a holy trinity here yeah. as far as the people in his life.
0: So yeah. fortunately our time is for the most part running out, so I think we probably could have talked for longer about this film, yeah. which sucks because we've spent longer on much worse films. <laughs> um, like even a though three hour film I would devoted say that, yeah. to yeah. Even uh, though Toussaint wasn't huge on this I don't
1: hate it. It just yeah. wasn't for me. And well, I yeah. totally I I'm I enjoyed absorbing this conversation just because I can see the value in this film, even if I didn't really glean that from a yeah. first so, watch.
0: So, that being said, why don't you just lead us right into
1: Final Thoughts, Tucson? Um, I mean, I guess from a first watch, I would give this a two and a half out of five. Not condemning it, but saying it's like, you know, straight down the middle, I think this is a, a good, competent movie that I think would improve upon return viewings. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I uh I quite enjoyed this. Uh, I think Walking Phoenix is giving another very wonderful performance here. Um I, yeah, that was great. Um even though he does have quite a bit of dialogue in uh, the last film I saw him in, which was Inherent Vice. Yeah. Um I feel like he the reason why he's become such an accomplished uh just fantastic actor is is because he's gotten so much better at showing the audience and not telling the audience. Um, And for the most part, I feel like that comes through here is he has a lot of somewhat emotional scenes on various different levels. And I think he uh, really kind of brings that home throughout the film. And at the end of the day, I feel like this film isn't entirely about him, even though he is the main character, which is uh, a very interesting point of view. Well,
2: I mean, he was never really there. So
0: (laughs) I'm so glad you're able to get that in. I actually thought this was uh, the worst Johnny
1: Greenwood score I've seen. Really?
0: I thought it wasn't very good.
1: It's really? very clunky and discord and very... Mm. <laughs> I thought
0: there were multiple parts of it where that honestly just felt pretty lazy. Um, really? Uh-huh. Um, and that's not to say that other people haven't not enjoyed his previous scores, but I think he has done quite good work with PTA um, in the films that I've seen. But I really did feel like this was kind of weak for me. Uh, So, that's just my opinion. Well, it's
2: interesting because I saw Leave No Trace last night. And Mm -hmm. I would say that that was easily my least favorite score he's ever done. Because it was barely there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. There you go. Uh,
0: So, at any rate, um, I'm going to give this film a three and a half out of five. I thought this was quite wonderful. And um, this is just a snapshot of... PTSD slash depression um, coming through in a uh, much different light, and I think that um, yeah, I just I just thought this was a good film. So three and a half out of five for me.
2: Yeah, I give it four stars out of five stars I very much enjoyed it and I can't wait to watch it again to be honest Um, I thought it was gorgeous to look at um, and I genuinely loved the Johnny Greenwood score gotta be honest Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of can't wait to when I watch films at night I have a streaming device that goes straight to my hearing aids and I gotta admit soundtrack just for me nothing beats that so I kind of can't wait to blast this straight into my ears uh, as I watch it one night um, but overall, I just thought it was fantastic. I thought Joaquin Phoenix did a great job, as always. And um, I appreciated the fact that the plot of this film is so second nature to what's really going to shine here, which is uh, Phoenix's work, but also Lynn Ramsey's uh, script, uh, that, in my opinion, is both giving him a lot to work with without uh spilling over into like exposition and whatnot but also just a fantastically elliptical uh structure here even if the general chronology is pretty much uh linear and straightforward the emotions and the bumpers of these scenes are never in the right order and that in and of itself is never a Christopher Nolan like mindfuck. It is always a it is always rooted in emotional trauma and uh, character uh you know, headspace and whatnot. And it just totally works for me. It really reminded me of Steven Soderbergh's film A Limey, hmm. which is about uh was got Terrence Stamp getting revenge to find his daughter hmm. or his daughter's killer, really. Um, And that film has a very similar editing process. Hmm. And uh, anyway, um, yeah, I thought this was fantastic. So I give it four out of five stars. And I genuinely think that everyone should try it.
0: Yeah. I'm sure there are wide-ranging opinions on this film. um, Because I could see anybody looking at this and just not being a fan at all. So obviously you thought I was not going to like it. I did, actually. Yeah. So glad that you were wrong because I (laughs) enjoyed it. I'm glad to. Oh good. So if you out there have any thoughts on you were never really here, feel free to always send them on to us at filmtank at gmail dot com. Coming up on our next episode, we're going to uh talk about a new comedy film uh that's by a first time film director, I believe, uh named Boots Riley who's previously done a lot of soundtrack work, but has never directed a film. Uh, In this film, A, seems quite uh, timely, and at the same time also uh, has some very interesting filmmaking choices, at least from the trailer, uh, that really caught my attention when I saw it. Is In a film that I would have never been interested in if I just read about it or looked at photos or anything like that, but seeing the trailer and seeing some of the... uh, choices that this film was making i was pretty much right on board and that is the new film called sorry to bother you uh and it stars like stanfield who most people would uh probably remember as the creepy new white guy from get out yeah um he's also been in other films but but that was probably his most recent and most successful uh of in of the show
2: atlanta i think Yes he is. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah. Anyway.
0: So we will be talking about that coming up on episode one sixty-two. So from Nick Cheney, Hey. to Son Egan. Hey. Yep. Oh, sorry. Myself, Alex Diekman. Hey. Yep. Thank you very much for catching up with us here at Film Tank, and we'll be joining you next time. Yeah. Can we do my
2: A's again?